so good to be in the house with all of you. I want to welcome everyone worshiping with us online. I'm glad you're here uh, as well with us. We're in the middle of a series called Name Dropping. Name Dropping is when you drop the name of somebody else who could help you, right? You walk into a room and you say, well, you know, the CEO told me. Well, if you know the CEO, then, then you know, we should listen to you, right? And uh, a God chose to be known by a multiplicity of names. Yes. One word could not possibly describe all that God is and all that, all, all that God has done and, and wants to do in our lives. So he's chosen to be known in a lot of different ways. And God usually reveals a, a, a name of his when people were having a problem in the Old Testament. And so that's what we've been doing in this series. You can always catch up. Uh, if you've missed some of them, you can go back on our website, newhope.in, and, and we have the videos and audio of, of all of the sermons there for you. Today's name that we're going to look at is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. This one's a lot easier to say than Sidkinu, isn't it? Right? Sidkinu. Shalom. The Lord is peace. And we're going to dig into the story from which the Lord is peace was revealed to mankind. But, but real quick, I want to define peace, okay? When we think of peace, we all often think of serenity and calm. In fact, I heard, heard a story of an of a art museum, I think it was, that had a contest. Like, we're going to give $250,000 to the best painting that depicts peace. And most of the paintings came in would be probably what you would think of, a lake with one little ripple or, you know, a clouds, a sunset, peace, calm, quiet, serenity. But the winner didn't look anything like that. The winner of that contest had, like, uh, storms and lightning and waves, and it didn't look anything like what you would call peace. But right in the little corner, on top of a barn, was a bird with its mouth open. Like, I'm fine. Peace is not serenity and calm, but it's the Lord putting the pieces back together. How interesting is it that peace and pieces go together? It's when God puts the pieces back together, it's wholeness. Wholeness. Shalom, the idea of biblical peace or shalom is wholeness. This box is a puzzle, thanks to the kids' ministry. I, was, I left mine at home, but I, I pulled one out of a closet. This is filled with pieces. Some of our lives resemble the pieces. If I open this up, you'll see a bunch of pieces. Jehovah Shalom puts the pieces together and brings a wholeness to our lives. That is Jehovah Shalom. Before we dig specifically into this situation, I want, I want to look at the bigger picture of our lives, how our lives got to where they are, because I'm sure there's no one here that has absolute perfect peace in every instance of your life. We, got, we all got a little drama. We'll get into that. <laughs> See, everything started in Genesis. I told you I'm going to take you back. We're going to really set the stage, in, so Genesis. Everything started in Genesis. God created everything from nothing. He's Elohim, the self-sustaining creator, and he created everything from nothing. And there was ultimate wholeness. There was ultimate shalom. And God created the Garden of Eden, and, and, and there was the tree of life, ultimate shalom, ultimate peace. Everything was together. There was total, total ultimate wholeness. All the pieces were where God wanted them to be. 
And then Adam and Eve sinned, which ended that ultimate uh, access to, to ultimate wholeness in Eden. See, Genesis 3.24 says, After he, after God, drove the man out of Eden, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim, angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So mankind was banished from Eden, and God blocked the way back to the tree of life. We've spent generations ever since trying to get back to the Garden of Eden, trying to get back to the tree of life, trying to find wholeness, trying to, trying to find shalom. We didn't know maybe that, that it was called that, but we've been trying to find it ever since. But that's temporary. See, there's an end to it. It's in Revelation chapter 22. I'm hitting Genesis to Revelation. We're getting the whole gambit here. Revelation 22. Then the angel of the Lord showed me the river of the water of life. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. No longer will there be any curse. See, the tree of life comes back. And there will come a time where there's no more curse, where there is ultimate, eternal shalom. Everything will ultimately be shalom again in heaven. And we'll be in the presence of God. All the parts will be right where God wants them. Forever, for those who trust in Jesus. But Genesis chapter 20, or I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 22 isn't today. There's a lot that happens between Genesis and the very last chapter of Revelation. The, the whole Old Testament happens. The whole New Testament happens. The, the age of grace in the church is still happening. Here we are today. Like We're still there. We're not at Revelation 22 yet. And so there's turmoil. There's going to be a lack of peace from time to time. Our lives with are filled with turmoil, aren't they? This world is filled with turmoil. The pieces aren't all where God would like them. Just look around you. Politics. Turmoil. Turmoil. Boy, is that turmoil. Somehow we became more interested in winning than we did in finding good solutions. Ukraine. Turmoil. Nonsensical attack. School. is Turmoil. When I was in third grade, I had learned a tornado warning. My kids go through active shooter warning, like practice. What do you do? There's turmoil in the world. Some of us aren't experiencing turmoil, like terrorism, but you've got plenty of another word going on in your life. Another word for turmoil? Drama. Some of you are the king of drama. And others of you are drama queens. <laughs> Filled with drama. You can turn to the person next to you and say he might be talking about you right now. <laughs> Some of us have drama in our marriage. We should have gone to the justice of the peace for our marriage, but by the way you talk to each other, it might have been the Secretary of Defense that did it. <laughs> cussing, arguing. God wants peace. But your marriage might be filled with drama. Maybe you have drama in some other relationships. Maybe drama at school, drama at work. It can be just, you can have a lot of drama just trying to meet the expectations of other people. Last October, the American Psychological Association released a report that I believe proves the state of turmoil and drama that we're in today. And they, they found that... Um, one-fourth of U.S. adults say they're so stressed they can't function. 
So if a row is eight, that's two out of every row feel so stressed in this room that, that you would say, I can't function. I can't function. That's not how God wants you to live. So stressed you can't function. All the pieces are apart. God wants to put them together. You got to meet Jehovah Shalom. You got to walk into Jehovah Shalom. You can know God, but to understand Jehovah Shalom, you got to step into it. We'll talk about that. The worst drama of all is drama of the soul. Turmoil of the soul. This is when you're so anguished by your own uh, regrets, your own anxiety, that it just binds you up and you feel like you can't move. It eats you up. You would say you're at war within. Am I describing anybody? You're not alone. People have been dealing with this ever since we were banished from Garden of Eden. You're not alone. And today I'm going to tell you a story about a man named Gideon who knew God, but he discovered Jehovah Shalom. He knew God, but he discovered a name of God, Jehovah Shalom, and he found peace. All through the Old Testament, I, what did I do? I'm with it. I've done this before. To turn my pages wrong. To understand the story of Gideon, we need to understand the Mosaic Covenant in the Old Testament. Uh, see, the Mosaic uh, Covenant was an agreement between God and his people in the Old Testament. And he provided a lot of rules for how he wanted his people to live. That was his covenant. It was an agreement between his people and him. And in that time, in ancient Egypt, I'm sorry, the ancient Near East, covenants was the way that agreements were made. They made covenants. And every covenant in that time had blessings and curses. If you do this, you get blessed. If you do this, you get curses. That was, that was the way that covenants worked. And God laid it out in Leviticus 26. He says, if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will grant peace in the land. And you'll lie down and no one will make you afraid. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase 10,000. That's exactly what happened with Gideon. And your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers. And I will keep my covenant with you. So that's the blessings, but there were curses involved too. Uh, God said, if you do not listen to me and carry out all these commands, then I will do this to you. I will bring on you sudden terror Wasting diseases and fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. That's also exactly what happens in our story. We'll see that in just a second. If after all this you, will not, you don't listen to me, I'll punish you for your, your sins seven times more. Sounds like God's a meanie. This is how covenants worked. This is, this is how God wanted to use the way that, that these people... These humans would understand an agreement. He could have emailed them a docu-sign, but it wouldn't have worked. They wouldn't have understood it. So we used what they understood, which is covenants. And in the ancient Near East, that's how they did it. Blessings and curses. And all through the Old Testament, we see the covenant with blessings and curses being played out. Super, super obvious in the book of Judges. We could put that, that picture up here. See, there's a cycle that happens all throughout the Old Testament. And the book of Judges has, has cycles. Israel sins. God punishes them. That's his, that's his end of the bargain. If you, if you don't obey me, 
I'll bring punishment. And then they repent because it hurts. They don't like the punishment. They said, oh, God, help. They repent and say, help, God. And God responds and delivers them. And then they're, they're delivered. Everything's going great. Hallelujah. See, they get blessed again. And once they're blessed, they realize it don't matter. And so they sin again. And it starts over. It starts over. It just goes around and around. Sin, punishment, repentance, deliverance. Sin, punishment, repentance, deliverance. Over and over again. That is the backdrop to the story of Gideon that we're coming into in Judges chapter 6. Let's read it together. Judges chapter 6. If you uh, got your Bible, you can turn there. Um, or, of course, on newhope.in, all the notes are ready for you. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to see all four of these steps play out. The Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. There you go. Sin. That's step one. Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so God fulfilled his agreement. For seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. I want to share today three thoughts for when you don't have peace. Three thoughts for when you don't have peace. Here's number one. You need Jehovah Shalom when you're being beaten by the thing you're supposed to beat. You need to look for Jehovah Shalom when you're being beaten by the thing you're supposed to beat. Israel was supposed to beat the Midianites. God had called Israel to go in and beat them. If you're following me, it'll be easy. But they were being beaten. The pieces, see, the pieces weren't where God wanted them. It, there wasn't wholeness in Israel. So they were being beaten by the thing they were supposed to beat. You realize we're supposed to be beating addictions. We're supposed to be victorious over sin. We're supposed to be. We're called to be victorious over sin. We're supposed to be leaders in godliness. But too many of us are being beat by the thing we're supposed to beat. Why? This is a main theme of today. If you're looking for peace, it's a little counterintuitive, but it's revealed in this story. Your ability to have peace, wholeness, if you're just looking to feel comfortable, that's a different thing. That's just masking it. If you want wholeness, actual, actual peace, with all the parts where God wants them, it's directly tied to righteousness. They're connected. James 3.18 says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. They're together. They come along together. You can't push God away from certain areas of your life and then say, why am I being spiritually attacked? Well, why do you think? You pushed him out. You need Jehovah Shalom back in the situation, all of the situation. So just how bad did it get? Good question. Judges chapter 6, verse 2. The story continues. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain cliffs caves and strongholds. They had shelters, but they, had to, they couldn't stay there. They had to go out and, and like hide out in the caves. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. How discouraging would that be? DoorDash didn't deliver to the clefts of the mountains. And, so, and the stuff they were growing in their garden was wiped out. The enemy, how discouraging. They came up 
with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Here's number two. The second thought, uh, thought for us when we don't have peace, number two, sin, resort, sin results in turmoil. Sin results in turmoil. This was exactly what God said would happen. If you don't obey, the enemies are going to come and wipe out your crops. That's what happened. They abandoned God, and all the parts became disjointed. The parts weren't whole. There was turmoil. Sin results in turmoil. Disobedience of our own lives will disrupt actual peace. Isaiah 57 says, May they have abundant peace, both near and far, says the Lord who heals them. But those who still reject me are like the restless sea, which is never still, but continually churns up drama, churns up mud and dirt. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. Some of you are living in this reality because of a sin of an untrustworthy adult that you trusted, to this day you're living in turmoil. Your turmoil and drama in your life is a result of sin. Maybe your sin. Maybe the sin of someone else. But all drama and turmoil in the world, if you have to blame something, blame sin. Blame sin. Because God created the Garden of Eden. He put all the pieces where he wanted it. But sin disjointed the puzzle. The parts aren't where God wants them. There's not wholeness. Perhaps because of the sins of your past that God forgave, you still are struggling with the consequences. And maybe you're living in a bit of turmoil, especially in families. Kids have parents in different homes, and wives and girlfriends live in the same house together under the same roof. Sin just gets everything tangled up, doesn't it? It gets everything tangled up. And mixed up like a jigsaw puzzle. In fact, Willie Nelson sang a song about this, about how his family got all mixed up and was whopper jo- Guys, I told you I don't do this stuff anymore. Fine. The story goes like this. The story goes like this. Many, many years ago when I was 23, I was married to a widow who as pretty as could be. This widow had a grown-up daughter. She had hair of red. My father fell in love with her, and tune the soon were wed. This made my dad my son-in-law and changed my very life. My daughter was my mother, because she was my father's wife. To complicate the matters, even though it brought me joy, I soon became the father of a bouncing baby boy. My little baby then became a brother-in-law to dad. And so he became my uncle, though it made me very sad. For if he was my uncle, that also made him the brother of the widow's grown-up daughter, who, of course, was my stepmother. I'm my own grandpa. I'm my own grandpa. It sounds funny, I know, but truly it's so. I'm my own grandpa. church. How was church yesterday? The preacher sang a hillbilly song. You can go tell him. 
We're going to fill these seats tomorrow. Isn't it great that when we get our lives twisted up, even if your life is twisted up so much that you're your own grandpa, we're welcome and sought after by God, and we can come to a place like this, and he can even untwist that. God wants to put the pieces back together. I want us to understand something key about this. The sin resulted in the turmoil that Israel was in, but the Midianites did not oppress Israel all on their own. The Midianites had help from God. God helped the Midianites oppress Israel. For the sake of the hearts of his people, the only way God could put the pieces back together was to do what he said he would do. See, he wants the pieces to be back together, but sin was separating all the pieces, and he wanted to bring wholeness. So he had to get their attention. God didn't move away from them. They moved away from him. They went out from under the umbrella. They got wet. That sounds like God's mean. Listen, listen. It's just like, for the sake of my children's teeth, I don't let them go to bed without brushing. Or for the, for the sake of their health, I make them eat vegetables. Or for the sake of their brains, I make, them, I make them limit screens. And sometimes they call me mean. The Israelites were set apart, right? Jehovah Mekadesh was one of the names we learned last week. They were called to be set apart. But they wanted to fit right in with the other Ishmaelites. So God gave them all the Ishmaelites they could handle. There you go. Not because God's a jerk, but simply because he loves his people. He loved them enough. And as the pattern goes, the Israelites finally responded. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. That's step three. They cried out, they repented. Lord, help us. God was just waiting for it. That's what he was hoping them to get to. Here's number three. Obedience and peace are connected. Obedience and peace are connected. The story goes on. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. We don't know his name, but it's a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. God says, I took care of everything. What, what is it? I'm powerful enough to get you out, not powerful enough to take care of you here? The pro- prophet is very clear. Your problem's not social. Your problem's your sin. Isaiah echoes this idea. If only you had paid attention to my commands, God says, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. If only. If only. Peace is wholeness and well-being because God and me are on the same page. When God and me are on the same page, the pieces come together. That's shalom. I fear too many of us are looking for a counterfeit version of that. You can mask turmoil. You can 
You could do other things to feel good. But it's not actually peace. It's not actually peace. The best you'll get is counterfeit. Marijuana, vaping, alcohol, escapism. That can be reading, video games, captivating online images. That's not wholeness. That's not actual peace. Actual peace comes from Jehovah Shalom. The story continues. The angel of the Lord came down and sat down under the oak in Oprah. Is it Oprah? He was on TV. <laughs> he sat down under Oprah's tree that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So in a wine press, you're supposed to make wine, but he's not doing that. See, because he's hiding. He's just trying to hide. He's, he's a weenie. He's hiding. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, my warrior. He was hiding. And the angel of the Lord says, mighty warrior. Aren't you glad that God will call something out? Maybe, have you ever had somebody call something out in you that you didn't see in you? Maybe a coach or a parent. You can do it. You didn't think you can, but somebody told you you could. God's still doing that. In fact, I wonder what your life would be like if you, if you knew what God had called you to. When you know what God calls you to, he might, he might say, hey, Missionary. Gideon replied, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when he said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. I'm abandoned. What a weenie. Gideon was kind of being a weenie, truthfully. Yet God called him mighty warrior. See, Gideon here is not doubting the existence of God. He, like, I, I know God's there, but I don't see him with me right now. There's a difference between believing in God and experiencing him in the specific sense of, that you're in. God is, see, in the general sense, God is always with you. In the specific sense, God's with you when you're with him. In the specific sense. God's with you when, when you're with him. God will be in our drama when we're with him. Let's keep going. The Lord turned to Gideon and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. That's how he talked because he was a weenie. (laughs) You got to wonder why God picks weenies like this. He was hiding. He was afraid. God calls him a warrior. And he's like, no, God, I'm a weenie. I'm little. Why did God call such an ordinary person who seems to be a weenie? Perhaps that's exactly why God, that's exactly who God wanted. Because ordinary people know they can't do it on their own. Ordinary people know I can do something great. It's only because of you. God, see, God, in our lives, it was here and it's still happening right now. God doesn't want you to be able to attribute success to God and... It's God. There's no and after that. There's no Jesus plus. It's God. 
So Gideon calls for a sign. Let me be sure, God, prove it. I need to know you're really here. And Gideon made some food for the Lord. Maybe it was a beef stew. And he put it down on a rock. And the angel of the Lord had a staff. And he, he touched the food with a staff. And a fire came up out of the, out of the rock. <laughs> Vaporized everything. So Gideon was like, are you really real? Are you really real? I need a sign. I just need to know if you're real. <laughs> yup. Okay. When Gideon realized that it was, in fact, the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, alas. Okay, so it wasn't yep. It was alas. Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. I want to give you three thoughts on peace. I gave you three thoughts for when you don't have peace, but here's three thoughts on peace. Number one, peace comes from God's presence. Peace comes from the presence of God. Gideon discovered Jehovah Shalom simply because he realized God was with him. We need to always keep this at the forefront of our mind, don't we? Next week, we're going to start, uh, for the second time this year, 21 days of prayer. It's going to start next Sunday, and it's going to go for, well, 21 days. And everything that you need to know about it is on our website. Every weekday, uh, we encourage you to join us online. We're not going to have in-person meetings during the week. On Sunday, it's going to be this, and on Saturday, we'll have a corporate prayer meeting in this room at 10 a.m., and I hope you engage with us, because this keeps God at the top of our mind. We're about to head into a school year. Let's get God to the top of our mind. Peace comes from God's presence. We can't push God out of where we are and adopt the culture around us and expect us to still have peace. You can't push God out of the school and then expect him expect to have peace in a hallway. It just it's not how it works. Here's the second thought on peace, number 2. Peace can be yours despite what is happening. Peace can be yours despite what is happening. See, Gideon built an altar to the Lord and said, Jehovah Shalom. But he hadn't won. The Midianites were still open. There was no change in the situation. But he still found Shalom. Gideon experienced Jehovah Shalom not because his situation changed but because God showed up in the middle of it. Some of you this week are going to go home and you're going to have drama in your life. And you're going to say, well, Pastor Adam was wrong. I've prayed every day and I still have bad things happening. Right. Jehovah Shalom. It's not that the situation changed. It's that God's in it. It's that God's in it. In fact, the next chapter in Judges chapter 7, we see that God takes Gideon's army of like 30,000 some from, from, from this big number down to 300 if I was Gideon, I'd go cry. But if you read it, Gideon praised God. He praised God because of it. Because he knows God's in this. God's arranged this to go from 30,000 to 300. God's in it. See, happiness is dependent on what happens. I could give you news and I would, could make you happy. I could give you different news and I could make you not happy. Peace is not that way. True wholeness, shalom, is dependent on completely something else. 
That's why people in a war zone Jerusalem, 50% of the people in Jerusalem today, if you walk around, will look at you and say, Shalom. Even though there's war happening. Doesn't mean everything's perfect, it just means you can have shalom when it's not. In fact, Jesus told us we should find peace in the midst of the turmoil. I've told you these things so that you may... I told, put that up. I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. But in this world you'll have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Relationships, jobs, health, economy, government, society, they're all able to fail and probably will. But Jehovah Shalom never will. You can still be free from drama and you can experience Jehovah Shalom in the midst of everything around you falling apart. You can keep your mind when everyone else loses theirs. Just because the world's falling apart doesn't mean you must. So Gideon found inner peace just by knowing that the Lord was with him. So that begs the question, how did he get to the place of knowing that the Lord was with him? Like, like you could know it, but Gideon knew it. How do you get to that place? How do we enter into the name of Jehovah Shalom? Here it is, the third thought on peace. You experience peace by setting your mind. You experience peace by setting your mind. Set your mind. The New Testament teaches this idea. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set. Everybody say, mind set. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. Here's the contrast. Those who live according to the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Amen. You experience peace by setting your mind. Keep your mind set. God promises in Isaiah, you will keep in, per- well, Isaiah says to God, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Anybody want perfect peace in your life? Keep your mind steadfast. You experience Jehovah Shalom by setting your mind. In the Gospels, there's a story of Jesus walking on water and he calls to Peter to come out. And Peter's like, all right, and jumps over the edge of the boat and he starts walking on water when he's looking at Jesus. And then he says, "Uh uh-oh. And as soon as he looks around and sees the waves, it's blah, 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 blah. Until he looks up and grabs Jesus. Come on. Life filled with waves. Right. You can look at the waves and it's blub, blub, blub. But we need to keep Jesus as the center yes. of our life. We keep him at the center. Yes. We can still have Jehovah Shalom. Didn't stop the waves. The waves are still going. But you can have Shalom. Yes. The pieces can be back together when your eyes are on Jesus. There's, legend has it that there's some people out there that can wake up without an alarm clock every day. Some of you, maybe. It's probably people who have done it for a long time. You've done it for a long time and you just, five o'clock in the morning comes along and you sit up, your eyes are open, you're awake because you did it. And you did it again, you did it for 40 years, and so this is what happens. You wake up. You got 
internal, you don't need an external clock to say, you got an internal one because you set it so often. You set it so often that you have something on the inside of you that reminds you to do it. It's, just, it's a permanent setting. It's a permanent setting because you've done it so often. If we repeatedly set our mind on Christ. So when your mind goes to something besides Christ, well, there's turmoil. Oh, what do I do? I need, I need to go to Michigan and get some gummy bears. No. Set your mind back on Jesus. Set your mind back on Jesus. Reset it. You're setting your alarm. You're setting your alarm. You're setting your alarm. You're setting your alarm. And you do that enough, you're just going to be set. There's going to be something inside of you that is wired to keep your mind set on Jehovah Shalom. Let me give you one more verse. Jesus himself said this to his disciples, and I believe he's saying it to us today. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, and my peace I give you. Would you stand with me? I remember my first in-person experience with a band. And I was a little boy in elementary school, and I went to see my big brother and big sister in middle school band. And I remember sitting in the seats at DeKalb Middle School, and the band came out, and they all started like warming up. And it was just total chaos. And I remember like plugging my ears, and I turned to my mom, and I said, Mom, they're terrible. And she says, they're just warming up. They're just warming up. I was like, all right, all right. They're not good, Mom. Sounds bad. They're just warming up. And then out stepped this director. And they're all going. And he has this little podium. And all he did was stepped into place. And everybody went. And he picked up his baton. And everybody went. And that got this first grader's attention. What? Then he started moving. And with every eye that was on those platforms, looking at the conductor, they put the pieces together. And it didn't sound so bad. Because the pieces were back together because the conductor put them together. If you want Jehovah Shalom to be realized in your life, you got to look to the conductor. This requires surrendering. Lord, we look to you today as our solution, as our peace. We ask you, God, we hand the pieces to you. We surrender and submit to you. We lay down all of our lives to you and surrender to you. We ask you to provide peace in our hearts.